Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. Claude, happy New Year to happy you, New too, Year sir. Happy New Year to you, Dr. Bennett. It's 2020. Yes, it is. I don't have anything clever to say about that. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. We will uh, take you all the way through 2020, where the podcast that translates Trump often defends Trump, sometimes criticizes Trump. But we take an honest look at the current administration, and we expose and talk about the existential threats to America, like Mr. Soleimani, who's dead. Mm -hmm. Dead. Today we'll hear from Tom Jocelyn, he's senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and senior editor at the Long War Journal. We'll take get his take on the latest and what's happening with Iran. Uh, he knows more about terrorists, knows all their names, speaks different languages, Farsi, etc., and knows who's the player, who's not. We'll get a great take from him. Then we'll have a, I think I can predict with confidence... An uplifting and uproarious conversation with Conrad Black, <laughs> of course, uh, author, non-affiliated member of the House of Lords, the Lord of the, the he is Lord Black. We'll get his thoughts on Iran, the important stories of 2019, and what he thinks will be the big stories of 2020. I'll spare you a long solo rant today, folks, uh, because most of what's on my mind, I I go through with Tom Jocelyn and uh, Conrad Black, and I'm pretty transparent. You know, people know what I what I think, and um. I'm just sort of my mouth's open with some of the stuff that Democrats, I mean, just criticizing the president for killing this murderous guy, talking about it as an assassination of a you know high official of a sovereign state. My gosh. Um, and then the impeachment nonsense, Nancy Pelosi. You know, the country's in danger because of this president. But we always take a couple of weeks for the holidays. And then maybe I won't send these uh, articles of impeachment on. It's just hard to believe. I mentioned uh, to uh, Conrad Black, uh, and you'll hear it, this case with all that's going on in Iran and all that. I didn't want um, people to miss it that uh, that CNN did settle with Nick Sandman. He's the Catholic kid from Covington Catholic High School. Right. There at the, uh, the Lincoln Memorial, you know, with the MAGA hat on and, and uh, brutalized, uh, brutalized by the media, probably because he was at a pro-life rally wearing a MAGA hat. And they thought he was, you know, snarling or spitting or being nasty to this uh, Native American gentleman who uh story changed a couple of times. Anyway, um, they brought the suit for hundreds of millions of dollars against CNN, against the Washington Post, against NBC. And they said they'd withdraw him if they just would apologize. They, these companies wouldn't apologize. Mm. Tells you how big and self-important they think they are. Right. Know? Mm-hmm. They were wrong. They were so clearly wrong. Anyway, take a look at that story. It's important. Uh, it's an important one. You're listening to The Bill Bennett, Show. Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org. Presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. All right, time to turn our focus to the war on terror. Joining us now, Tom Jocelyn, Senior Fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and Senior Editor at the Long War Journal. Tom, thanks for your time. Bill, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. You must be busy these days. Yeah, it's uh, crazy, you know. But, uh, you know, Donald Trump did what his two predecessors refused to do, even though, you know, General Soleimani was killing Americans. Uh, you know, this guy ran around with impunity for many years and finally he's gone you know so good i find let's, a lot of the i find a lot of the talk about it to be histrionics so let's, you know. let's dig into that tom um sure terrorism and uh Soleimani 101 if you don't mind for for me and the and the audience sure uh sure brief description who was this guy and how bad a guy was he well i mean he was t- 
top of the food chain in terms of Iranian terrorists. This is a guy who led Iran's terrorist army throughout the Middle East and, in fact, globally. He was the leader of what um, Iran calls the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps Quds Force, um, which, of course, has its eyes on Jerusalem as the ultimate prize. But the idea is that this Quds Force is responsible for exporting the Iranian revolution throughout the Middle East and elsewhere and also defending the Islamic Revolution inside Iran itself. So this is a force, and Soleimani, as its leader, certainly was in charge of all this. It's a force that has a lot of blood on its hands, both inside Iran and throughout the countries of the region, and a lot of American blood on its hands, a lot of Iraqi blood on its hands, Syrians, Yemenis, and others. So this is a guy who, it's hard to calculate how many lives he impacted in a negative way, um, because it's certainly in the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. Really? Thousands, hundreds of thousands. Tell, Explain one thing to me, which has uh, been a little confusing, to, I'll admit, to me, and, and I'm sure members of the audience. They said, well, he was a menace, but he was also a menace to, I've heard, uh, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, uh, you know, the enemy of our enemy is our friend. Uh, he was killing people that we try to kill, too. Explain the politics of that. So, you know, sometimes the enemy of our enemy is just your enemy. Um, And that certainly was true with Soleimani. Um, It's true that um, ISIS and the IRGC and its proxies um, have fought one another in both Iraq and Syria. It's true that the IRGC has clashed with al-Qaeda in Syria and Yemen and potentially elsewhere. Um, So this is not the case where these these forces are all on the same side at all times. Uh, Quite the contrary. However, in particular, when it comes to Soleimani's career, what's interesting is the duplicity that he was capable of, because at the same time that uh, there, you can point to instances where IDRC and his forces were at loggerheads with al-Qaeda's uh, armies in Iraq and Yemen, for example, or, or I'm sorry, Syria and Yemen, um, by the same token, Soleimani had a long history of collaborating with al-Qaeda when he wanted to. Um, there's a book out called The Exile which has a lot of details in it about Soleimani hosting al-Qaeda figures in Iran and uh, basically harboring them and uh, consorting with them. There's also a whole long history here that was first documented by the Obama administration. So this didn't come from any so-called warmongers in Washington, but in fact came from an administration that sought detente with Iran. There's a long history of Iran hosting uh, what's the Obama administration called Al-Qaeda's core facilitation pipeline inside Iran. And that was definitely involved the RGC Quds Force uh, and Soleimani. Soleimani also um, and his men um, have worked with the Taliban, even though the Taliban and Iran were against one another um, as late as 1998, 1999, and looked like they could come to blows in a war. Um, the RGC Quds Force turned on a dime in 2001 and backed the Taliban war against us inside Afghanistan. And there's a long history of facts to back that up, that the RGC Quds Force has provided material support to the Taliban in the war against us. So this is basically, this is a guy who, yeah, you can, you can point to times when he's, he's um, fought, he fought other enemies of America. But at the end of the day, he he would love to have the guns pointed at us as much as possible. Got it. Got it. Got it. And then a series of questions along this line. You can tell I'm taking it from the headlines and people's comments. Um, uh, evil guy, but a very skillful, very able, uh, a good tactical or strategic uh, planner. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he, you know, the thing about Iran is, of course, they lack the conventional military strength that we have or that a premium power would have. Um, but what they... Lack, lack in that regard, what they, what they've tried to do is put a lot of resources into irregular warfare, asymmetric warfare. 
Um, that includes terrorist attacks, but also includes um, guerrilla uh, fighting, guerrilla armies. And he, under um, the direction of the Iranian regime, um, exported the Islamic Revolution throughout the Middle East using these guerrilla armies. And so they have a vast sort of uh, militant footprint now in several countries that they didn't have as recently as 10 years ago. Even. Um, they've been able to really expand their footprint. And he deserves a lot of the credit slash blame for that. He's the guy who really was the architect of that sort of overall picture. Okay. And, and hard to replace? He's probably hard to replace um, for a lot of reasons. But, you know, Bill, a lot of times when you look at these when you look at these guys, um, it's tough to say exactly internally how much um, of what he was doing uh, couldn't be replicated by someone else. We've seen that. When we, we've studied ISIS, Al-Qaeda, all these groups for years. And sometimes the next man up is just as effective, if not more so, as the guy you take out. I don't think that's the case in Sul- with Soleimani. I think this is a guy who's uniquely capable. I think he's a guy who has certainly built a public standing and stature that made him uh, really a unique threat throughout the region. Uh, in terms of how he was perceived and looked at and revered by, uh, unfortunately, a disturbingly num- disturbing number of people. Two questions in, uh, at once. A good thing to have taken him out, and um, uh, are we better off with him gone? You know, I think it was necessary and just to take him out. You know, there was a lot of um, the debate in Washington, which is often myopic, became um, completely, I think, uh, warped on this idea of imminence, whether or not he posed an imminent threat. Right. My response to that is sort of ridiculous, right? I mean, he just one of his proxies just killed an American contractor. You know, they he is his proxies attacked the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. This, all this guy does is terrorism for decades. So the idea that you need to prove that within the next twenty-four to forty-eight or uh, hours or one week or whatever that he was gonna had his finger on the trigger of another plot is sort of ludicrous. I mean, this is what this guy's business is: is yeah, terrorism, yeah, anti-American yeah. terrorism. You know, terrorism throughout the region. So, yeah, I think it makes us safer that he's out. He's in what I would say in terms of, you know, in terms of does it make us safer in the long run? Yeah. Look, I mean, part of the problem with what Iran has gotten away, gotten away with over the years is there's been very little accountability for its um, sponsorship of terrorism. You know, there's this, this sort of really histrionic debate in Washington about supposed people in Washington who want to gin up a war with Iran. If you look at the history, Bill, this is ludicrous. You know, Iran has attacked and killed Americans on numerous occasions without any sort of military appraisal by the U.S. Um, you know, nobody has forced the U.S. into a war with Iran. They're the ones who constantly are provoking, as they did in recent days outside the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad, as they did when they killed an American contractor, as Soleimani did when, according to the State Department, he oversaw forces that killed over 600 Americans in Iraq, at least. Okay. Okay. You know, these were all provocations by them, you know. And so the idea that this that there is no deterrence really there or very little deterrence, I think, is true. And I think President Trump, to his credit, has established a measure of deterrence here once again. I want to get to that, but I want to I want to try something out on you uh, before this the day after this happened. I was on and. You know, I'm not a I'm not a strategist like you. I'm not an analyst like you. I'm a philosopher. Uh, and they asked me, you know, was this justified? I said, sure. Uh, well, what do you need to know about you know imminent attacks? I said, I don't need to know anything. Uh, this was always justified morally. You could always take this guy out, given what he's done. I think just a comment here: the administration got itself in sort of a pickle it didn't need to be in by talking about well, we had to do it then because of an imminent attack. They were right. they were justified in doing this any time just by saying we got him you know we know where he is we can get him it wouldn't that have been sufficient I think so I mean again okay. I I think you could justify it just on the actions of the last few days right. leading up to his death right you know I mean you don't 
it doesn't need to be something where you can forecast the president. I, I agree with the administration tied itself a knock on this, you know, getting throwing out the idea of an imminent plot that was thwarted. There, there's some indications, including a Reuters report, that that's true, that there was activity ongoing. Okay. But my point is, of course, there's stuff going on, right, Bill? I mean, this is what this guy does. I mean, this is for what he's done for, what, for many years. That's what know? he does for a living. It's what he does all the time, right? right. I mean, look, I'll, I'll make a comparison for you, Bill. I mean, did the Obama administration need to show that Osama bin Laden was in charge of an imminent plot against Americans when the Navy SEALs came calling in May 2011? No, of course right, not. Right. You know, um, you know, bin Laden did have his hand in, in ongoing plots, by the way. That's something we've helped uncover. But the idea that um, they needed to prove that to justify the action morally or uh, you know legally or anything else, I think, is, is ludicrous. And that certainly applies in the case of Soleimani. Right. And then and the other question, Washington, and it's myopic view, is talking about is are we safer now? Let me answer it. I, I, again, I'm an amateur. You're the pro. I think we are safer, A, because, you know, they're looking, Iran's looking at us and saying, this guy Trump is serious, deadly serious. Yeah, I think he drew he drew a real red line, which is right. don't kill Americans, you know. And, you know, if you kill Americans, I'm going to make you pay. And I think you have to take him seriously on that regard. I don't think, you know, I, I, I think, unfortunately, when you look back at the Bush administration's um, uh, handling of the Iraq war, I think this is one of the shortcomings. You know, the, the Iranian proxies and Iranians were killing an awful lot of Americans in Iraq. And there was no clear deterrence, uh, of course, drawn deterrence line drawn there. There was no clear deterrence line drawn under, of course, President Obama, who was very eager to have some sort of detente with the Iranians. So I think this, you know, you talked earlier, Bill, about how you're not a strategist or this or that. You're a philosopher. Bill, I think a lot of it's just common sense, right? Yeah, I mean, right. you don't need to be some sort of, you know, uh, you know, big uh, strategic thinker about the Middle East or anything else to understand that when you have a guy who is a, a bloodthirsty terrorist, a bully, and he's been killing with impunity for years, that taking him off the battlefield sends a clear message to your enemy saying, hey, you know, you're not going to get away with this anymore. One other small debate here in Washington that's, that's heated up is, you know, did the president have the authorization to do it? So I understand it. When this guy's listed as a terrorist, the president has that authority. Right. Yeah, he was a designated terrorist, and he was the head of a designated terrorist force. So, so I, you know, the, the administration got itself tied up in knots on this, too, citing the AUMF. You know, look, I, I do actually agree with the critique that we should be very careful with the AUMFs here in terms of what they justify in terms of lethal force. You know, we don't want this ever-expansive, ever-elastic definition of the 2002 AUMF. I certainly would not justify an all-out war yeah. with Iran under that. I think What's AMF authorization military force? Is what it is? Right. I'm sorry. Yes. There were two authorizations for the use of military force, one in 2001 in the wake of the 9-11 attacks, a second one against Saddam Hussein's Iraq in 2002. And I, I, I'm of the mind that congressional oversight and lawmakers need to rein in sort of how these are viewed and that basically real robust action needs to be authorized by the people's representatives. It's not something I think that, you know, could be you want to carry out. That's, but that's not what happened here. You know, as you point out, you know, Soleimani was a U.S. designated terrorist. This was a precision strike against a designated terrorist. All the legal authorities, in my view, were in place to kill him. Um, and I think, obviously, in terms of what of, of the necessity of it, given everything this man has accomplished in his life, in his terrorist dossier, and everything he's capable of, of course it was necessary. Now, I uh, want one or two more, and then we'll let you get back to, to reading things in different languages. <laughs> thanks for thanks for giving us <laughs> your, your time. You go know more of those names than anybody I know. Encyclopedic in your knowledge. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I think it's common sense here. Um, the, the whole question of, 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 of the response, the Iranian shelling of the bases, 
Um, for a while, people were saying, well, they did on purpose not try to kill anybody. Latest word is, I heard the vice president this morning say, no, they were trying to kill people. Do you have a view on that? You know, I don't. I don't know um, whether they did or they didn't. I, all I can say is that the strikes to my mind, based on the imagery I've seen, and of course, I'm not an expert on satellite imagery or how to read it. So your listeners should take this with a big caveat, as you should as well. But the strikes look like they were pretty, pretty precise to me, like they knew what they were hitting. Um, and they went after military hardware and equipment. Um, you know, is it possible that they could have refrained from killing more Americans with these strikes or deliberately trying to kill a lot of Americans? I think it's possible, but I don't know that to be the fact. And I, I don't think we, I think that's one of those issues where it's a little bit of a, you can lay the facts, uh, on either side of the ledger to, to figure out what they were exactly thinking. But the bottom line is they didn't kill any Americans. And I think president Trump has, um, rightfully seen that as an off ramp to say, look, I'm not looking to escalate this into a major armed conflict here. Okay. Yeah. Off ramp where we're even, that's fine. Forget it. But they'll, they will continue to do stuff, but not, we're not going to have a major war. They're not going to come be start sending missiles our way. They'll try to kill somebody in a, in the cafe Milano or something. Right. I mean, isn't that what they'll do? Right. I feel, I think that's right. And use of asymmetric warfare terrorism is much more likely. Um, what I would say is you have to be vigilant about that. They have their own timeline for that. This is something where they could exact revenge in that regard, in that manner. I mean, uh, you know, a couple of years out, they've done that in the past where they've taken their time to lay the plans for something. And we've seen evidence of long-term planning here in New York, actually, because over the last couple of years, the FBI has shut down a couple of Hezbollah um, IRGC agents who were dispatched by the IRGC to come here and surveil targets, including LaGuardia Airport, JFK, buildings in Midtown. And these guys were rolled up arrested. In fact, one of them was arrested about 35 miles south of where I live. Um, you know, so they, they definitely have that long-term planning in mind. And you always have to be wary of that. But in terms of a major armed conflict, you saw some of the people warning about it. You saw people comparing us to 2003 Iraq and these other sort of, I think, really over-the-top comparisons that don't make any sense. I don't think that is in the works whatsoever. You know, Bill, look around the Middle East right now. There are about 5,500 American troops in Iraq. Um, CENTCOM, which is the combatant command, which oversees the U.S. military presence throughout the Middle East, is um, less than, you know, is, is not exactly staffed to do this. They're not exactly at, you know, rock war levels. They're at right. somewhere around 70, 80,000 troops total. You know, Indo-Pacific Command, by way of comparison, which is responsible for China, has more than four times the number of forces as CENTCOM. So, you know, the U.S. is not positioned for any big wars anymore in the Middle East. Do you think, um, do they think, and then do you think, that if they do, you know, one of these proxy things, try to kill some individuals or assassinate somebody, that the president will uh, thump them? Uh, will take it seriously and really hit them hard? And do you think they think that the president will do that? And thus, maybe they'll be a little hesitant to do it. I think if it's clear that it's them, I think they, they would be uh, uh, playing with fire in this, this regard, given the way President Trump acted here. Um, what I would say is the, you know, you mentioned the plot against Cafe Milano. Um, you know, the Iranians in that case and in other cases, what they try and do is they try and use cutouts to maintain a, a degree of plausible deniability so that they make they make sort of any kind of retaliation murky. You know, that's part of what they want to do is muck all this up. Um, so you, you have to put that out there as a caveat that they could work through a cutout. They could work, you know, Bill, one of these plots where they were trying to attack an ambassador, Saudi ambassador in Washington, you know, they were trying to use a Mexican drug cartel as their sort of cutouts to help get that done. So you have to be careful here that that's one of the complicating factors. But I think overall that if it's, clear enough that the Iranians are responsible for something like that. Under this administration, they do risk retaliation. Two last things. First of all, did, did you know that 
for about two weeks after that attempt at the Cafe Milano. You couldn't get a reservation there. You know, I did not know that. Every, no, everybody wanted to go. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? That's Washington I don't for know you. Why, yeah, but you just get, yeah, it's Washington. Yeah, you say hey, hey, I, hey. I was at the place where they tried to kill somebody. <laughs> Good lord. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that, 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 that. That's just that's just a little crazy. All right. Well, I think that really answers most of the questions. the The only other thing I have in mind is this. What I what I read from this, Tom, is is that his gut and his viscera are often better than the arguments that are put forward after it. You know what I'm saying? That uh, his instincts are right, and then sometimes when they're filling in, like the imminence and all that, I, you know, I, who cares whether it was imminent? This guy, this guy deserved to die. But uh, the, I trust the instincts of this president on these things. Yeah, you know, I, I think in this case, he, I think if you listen to what he said, actually, he did a better job of explaining this himself personally than some of his subordinates did in this case, yeah, actually, yeah. which is a, a twist for him. He's not always very good at articulating his uh, his own policies or what he's he's all about. But, you know, yeah, I mean, when you talk about all the arguments and everything back and forth, the bottom line is that a lot of policymaking in Washington has become skewed by what I think is sort of a very pseudo-intellectual way of viewing the world as opposed to sort of a common sense way of viewing the world. And I do applaud the idea that we're going to try and get back to a common sense way of viewing these matters in some respects. That doesn't mean I agree with everything President Trump is doing, far from it. But, you know, there needs to be that measure of sort of common sense in all this and and all these sort of, you know, hyper you know, pseudo-intellectual arguments about this type of stuff often misses the forest for the trees. Well, I take your implied uh, correction of me. I don't think you intended it, but I take it to heart. I didn't have to say, well, I have a philosophy degree, so I thought it was just, I just, I just like to think I have common sense. That's all I needed here, right? Yeah, no, I, I think you do have common sense, Bill. It's not a correction at all. It's pointing out that, you know, you don't, you know, basic reasoning can get you to the right answer in a lot of these cases. You don't need some sort of you know, uh, deep rooted understanding of stuff. I mean, the bottom line from my perspective is as somebody who's covered these wars for all these years now, um, you know, an awful lot of Americans were sent home in, in coffins because of this guy. Yeah. I don't really care if you, if you can point out to whether or not he was, you know, had his finger on the trigger of another plot in the next 20, 40 hours a week. I don't really care. You know, exactly. I, I just don't. Exactly. Good. New sheriff in town. I think that's uh, I think that's becoming more and more clear. Thank you very much, Tom. Continue your great work. Appreciate it, Tom Jocelyn. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Joining us now is Conrad Black, author, non-affiliated member of the House of Lords. Conrad Lord Black, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Look, I think it just gets better and better for the president. Don't you? I mean, this latest thing is a real fiasco. For, yeah. For the opposition. Yeah. Uh, which, 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 what time is it? Which do you mean by the latest thing? <laughs> well, I'm talking about, you know, Warren's announcement that we were on the brink of war and so forth. And, oh, yeah. and, that, uh, yeah. and Biden's sort of uh, explaining his deep experience in foreign policy. What a brilliant agreement the Iran nuclear agreement was, and how we should have stuck with that. Uh, you hear the second half Trump of that? Was leading us to, the, sec- the second half of his historical account of himself? That, yeah, you know, this is it. It was sort of his, partly his deal, and, and we should have stuck with that. It was such a great deal, because now, uh, you know, we're on the brink of war and so forth. I, I mean, I just cannot believe how incompetent these people are. Uh, but he added to it. Uh, by saying, oh, and, tell me. And, and when that uh, bin Laden decision was up, I voted against it. <laughs> Good for you. What? Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't quote Bob Gates, you know. In fact, it's true. Every recommendation I made was wrong. Every judgment I yeah. made. 
extraordinary. So, um, do you see the latest with the with the left part of the brain there, and the and the Democrats with the press conference on assassination and authority and more authority? It's just really. I, I haven't seen this. Whose press conference was it? Elon Omar was in the lead, uh, and oh and her colleagues. But um, this is so straightforward. He was designated a terrorist, which means you can take him out any time. And he was maybe the worst of them all. Solomon. Yes. Well, he certainly was the head of the biggest organization, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, for years, people like Michael Ledeen, you know, Michael and others were saying when we were all yes. talking about Saddam Hussein, he said, fine, you know, but, you know, talking about Iraq, but it's really Iran. Iran is really the problem. And, um, you know, it, it really has been the problem. And I mean, of course. So, um, you know, entire, enti- we have Carter to thank for that. That's right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the Democrats are, are, are doing there. All right. Let's, let's go through the headlines, the arguments in the, in the headlines. So, um, do you have a guess as to whether these, uh, uh rocket launches, missile launches on the, on the, on the air, uh, bases in Iraq were intended to kill people or just fireworks display, uh, to uh, save face? Again, it is only a guess. I, I don't hold myself out as an authority on uh, on how the regime in Tehran works things out. But I think that they took on board very meticulously what President Trump said, that if there were attacks on Americans, they would be responded to disproportionately. And I think they believe that he is basically looking for a, an excuse to take down their whole nuclear program. Yeah. And so I think that they thought that the best course was to move very quickly and and say that's their retaliation and then try and put on statesmen like here wishing to de-escalate things. Because uh, it, it is undoubtedly true that the United States has, has at least 50 times as great a military strength as Iran and has the ability to take out every military, militarily relevant target in Iran without losing a single American life. And and we've reached a point at that level where the correlation of forces is so uneven that the the best course for the Iranians is to try and pretend to be, one, statesmanlike by de-escalating, and two, saving face by doing something. Right, uh, but uh, I, I say that I have to say, Bill, I don't know how they're representing it in their own propaganda. Uh, I, I, my impression was they were saying that this was an effective military measure that was a, that was a serious response to the uh, Soleimani business. But but I don't I don't speak Farsi and I don't know. I heard one report that uh, they they were they were saying to the to their people that uh, a number of Americans were killed, which we know is not true. So, um, yeah, yeah. but that, that that would then bolster the argument yes. they're trying to represent. Yes, uh, this as, as substantive response and then the promised revenge. Well, given what you've you've said, then the next headline question, which is, you know, are we safe for now? We are, because they yes. they are less likely to mess with this uh, this new sheriff. Correct. Yeah, and then they well, they have lots of suicide uh, candidates. Uh, toiling in their in their cause, the leaders uh, are, are not in any hurry to depart this life. And I, I think it's the same lesson we learned when when Ariel Sharon adopted the 
tactic of, uh, of responding to each bombing on a bus or other civilian location in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv uh, by, by killing the leader of Hamas. And I think he killed three or four of them. And that was the end of those instances. Uh, you know, they, these people are, in fact, not in a hurry to leave. Uh, you remember bin Laden used to say they don't understand uh, we want to die. Well, of course, he didn't want to die, and he hid like a like a snake for years. And uh, and 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 in the end, these people, if they understand that they can't just sneak around and snipe at embassy guards or put over set off IEDs to kill a few people here and there, but are actually risking their own lives with this kind of thing, then uh, they become a good deal more circumspect. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think so. I think uh, absolutely so. And we'll see. Uh, you know, again, uh, we were just talking to Tom Jocelyn. Do you know Tom Jocelyn's work? Uh, I, I I know his work a bit. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Don't know him. But as he he said, yeah, we'll see some proxy stuff. We'll see, uh, you know, maybe another attempt at an assassination at the Cafe Milano, which I, again I shouldn't laugh about. But that, that's where I was offering to take you to lunch. You, you know, that stuff is not laughable, but it's not a, it's not a threat to no to, to the world. It's not a threat to national existence or anything. See, I put these things in the historic context. I, I, President Roosevelt said at the beginning of 1941, we must always be wary of those with sounding brass and tinkling cymbal would preach the ism of appeasement. And at the end of that year, in his war message after Pearl Harbor, he said, we will make very certain that this form of treachery never again endangers us. And that's been the American policy. It's not an appeasement country, and it has a deterrent power. And the way the enemies of America are trying to get around it is this terrorist business where the, where people do things and you can't trace it directly to any sovereign government and 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 you know you know the US is chasing and the other civilized countries are chasing a moving target here but but uh, they're, they're they're attaching an accountability tail to these acts of terror and ultimately somebody is going to have to pay for them it's you know not the individual suicide bombers they don't care but the you know the people behind it and and um, and that's the trail that has to be maintained and that's the weak point of, of, of terrorists ultimately at the top there's somebody who's not in any hurry to die yeah no that's right um, but we haven't heard the end of it I mean we'll hear it something. I don't think we'll hear loud. I think we'll hear, you know, back, uh, back door stuff. But, um, but you know, the, the question. Mean, meanwhile, these ever tightening sanctions are going to strangle. Right, uh, right. I mean, they haven't met the litmus test in Iran yet, where where you get the regular police and army told to fire live ammunition at the civil population. They can they can get that to a modest degree out of the special police. This group that uh, Soleimani ran and, and affiliated organizations, uh, because they're fanatical enough to do it. But if they if they get to the point that Chazescu got to, where he was basically telling the police who regulate traffic and and, and get a little you know little old ladies' cats out of trees for them and things like that to fire on the civil population, that's when it all blows up. And they must be getting close to that at times. And Iran, I understand they well? killed. You think 1,500 demonstrators, so, so you know, they're muscling the population, and that is dangerous. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Do you think more likely that regime goes down because of its own people rather than Donald Trump? Well, it's, it's, it's a combination. combination, combination. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Um, but I think, I, think, I think the president, Trump, is playing a winning hand here. He's saying we're not seeking regime change, but we won't tolerate these things. 
and, uh, and, and we wish the people well. Our problem is with the government, not the population of Iran. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, and we're ready to talk at any time, no preconditions, as long as these points are understood. I, I think it, despite the uh, penchant that the Democratic candidates for president have of uh, imputing to them warmongering and complete irresponsibility in an absence of any tactical plan at all, uh, he's, he's, on a winning, he's on a winning hand here. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, the, some of the stuff that's being said, I heard on MSNBC, someone said straight out, well, this is the assassination of the second or third ranking official of a sovereign state. <laughs> uh, you, that may, with a stretch, may be true, but it is not the whole truth. Yeah, it's not the, the, whole the whole truth. The whole truth is, it wasn't an assassination. There is a war on terror going on. This man was recognized as a monstrous international criminal. And as you said earlier, uh, once someone is accurately identified as a terrorist, he's outside the law. And it's it's fair game to take him down any way you can. You know, Conrad, this is where I had one argument with the administration. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to think, I go back to your book, your great book um, about, about Donald Trump. His viscera, his instincts are often better, much often better than uh, than a lot of people's arguments. And in this case, I think his instincts are better than the arguments, some of the arguments the administration put forward. This imminent danger thing. Um, you, you didn't need imminent danger to be able to justify in any moral way uh, the killing of this guy. You didn't need to say he was about to light a fuse. He's been lighting fuses and blowing people up for a long time. So I think that's that, his occupation. Yeah, I don't. I, I think they got themselves into a little cul-de-sac here. They didn't need to. Uh, yeah. The answer should be we we had him in plain sight. Uh, along with several other really bad guys, and we took him because we've had the authority. He's a designated terrorist. Exactly. Now, am I right that the briefing they gave the congressional leaders was basically not successful? Right, not successful. Right. May a couple of senators, Mike Lee, some others uh, were, were very upset about it. Others, others said it was fine. I don't think it said much more. But I, why would I get yourself in that box? You didn't need to. Exactly. You didn't need to get into this I, imminent thing. I, 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 you don't need any apologies for killing a man like Soleimani. I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the United States can't get into the business of being a turn-the-other-cheek country. I mean, since when is it the uh, uh, national security policy in that country to, to engage in unilateral disarmament, yeah. uh, or yeah. at least effective yeah. disarmament, non-use of arms? All right, well, let's get, let's get to the really important question, which is the impeachment of the president and the articles here in the House. I, I don't know what to say, but I know you know what to say, because you always say whatever it is you're saying very well. Well, uh, this whole exercise of delay has just diluted whatever credibility there was in the whole process, which was zero in my view. But I guess a few people still took it seriously. But the the fact he was the clear danger, right? (laughs) Well, well, that that is of course complete nonsense. Rushing it through before Christmas and then sitting on it for no good reason, and then trying to dictate to the Senate, which and on a basis that's contrary to the Constitution, all of that is nonsense. But when you get right back to it. I agree with the Alan Dershowitz position. The Constitution requires uh, bribery, treason, high crime, or an equivalent misdemeanor. And and they haven't alleged any of that. Uh, abuse of power, one, did not occur, and two, it, it is not impeachable uh, unless, unless it checks those boxes. If it's an abuse of power amounting to bribery, treason, or 
or, or a, an assault on the Constitution. That that uh, that that would be an impeachable and removable offense. But but they did they didn't get that. And the contempt of Congress is the dumbest charge I've I've, I've heard since the one that they came up with against Mr. Nixon of, of attacking Cambodia. I mean, uh, anyone who isn't contemptuous of the House of Representatives is uh, psychiatric help. You're a great historian of America. How many great presidents have been contemptuous of Congress? Huh? <laughs> Most of them. <laughs> Virtually all of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some of the things Mr. Lincoln said about yeah. the House of Representatives are, where, you know, they, they, in the, they would be defamatory in normal circumstances. Yeah. But um, yeah. uh, except the truth would be a justification, I guess. I, I mean, it, it, the whole thing is spurious. And I, all this nonsense about witnesses. I, I mean, I'm not sure what John Bolton's game is precisely. I, I, yeah, I You know, I don't know. But, but they, they, they know. Pelosi knows that if, if they're going to get into the calling of witnesses, they're going to bring in this phony whistleblower. Everybody knows his name, Similari or whatever it is. And, and it is going to come out that he was guided through the whole thing by ship's staff. They can't call witnesses. This whole thing is just a parody. It's a farce. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, to me, you know, I, I, I talked to you here as, as uh, one of the world's eminent newspaper men. You, you, can't, you can't say this thing is boiling hot and then take a three-week break, right? I mean, the country's in and danger. The other thing is, it, it, I mean, the, I, there's no evidence that anybody in the country takes it seriously. No, no, no I think that's right. So, I mean, you're going to lose their attention, right? You, at least you're going to lose Trump their attention. Even the Trump haters know it's a, it's a dead pigeon. It, okay, it, you it's know, dead it's dead pigeon. on arrival at the veterinarian, you know. That's and, what and I was so looking for. Why bother? That's what I was looking for. That's why we called you to tell. I was waiting for that. Claude just looked at me and nodded. Yep, dead pigeon. That's it. That's it. What did you say? Monty Python line where John Cleese says, this is a dead bird. Well, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were quoting you about uh, for weeks when you... We were talking about Donald Trump and said, well, he has a bit of a change of pace, you know. <laughs> so, you know, he's a different kind of character. Uh, another newspaper man question. I, I, I should have warned you we wanted to ask you about this. I'm not sure you caught it. But did you see that CNN settled with Nick Sandman, the Catholic high school student, Covington, Kentucky? I, I saw it, but I think they did not reveal the quantum of the settlement, did they? Right, no, and it could could be very little, right? It possible could be very little. Well, he was suing. I thought the $800 million suit. I mean, if you don't ask, you don't get, but that, that price tag was a little high. But, I, I mean, I just, I, just, I just hope he got a respectable Something. amount, not only for him, but just to teach these people a lesson. It was just so completely irresponsible what they did. Yeah. Now, um, this lawyer, um, Lynn Wood, uh, is was the lawyer for Richard Jewell uh, in the Richard Jewell case. I haven't seen that movie yet, but apparently it's quite interesting, the Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. But uh, very skillful. And apparently, I didn't realize this, and again, I'd like to get your perspective as, as a newspaper man. Uh, they said, you know, if, if CNN and these guys would just apologize, they'd withdraw the lawsuit. Interesting. And, and they didn't. Yeah. None, of them, none of them could do that. Yeah, that that that's a very revealing fact, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it is. That they, they have enough money that they would rather yeah. pay yeah. a uh, pay 
you know, a, presumably a significant money penalty than, than uh, apologize for what was clearly a completely outrageous imputation to this young man who was just, just listening to this guy in a, in a neutral way, not a, not a disrespectful way at all. Yeah, you know, facts too, you know, I heard a couple of conservatives debating what was the biggest, bigger offense to the media, that they were wearing MAGA hats, the boys, or that they were at a pro-life rally. You know, exactly. But, but, the fact they went to a Catholic school would right. also disqualify them and their parents from being considered civilized Americans. Anyway, that's chapter one. Uh, the uh, There's another lawsuit against NBC and one against The Washington Post, which I must say gleefully reported this settlement by uh, CNN. Uh, and I guess somewhere at the bottom mentioned that it, too, was being sued. But we'll uh, we'll wait, <laughs> wait and see about that. So... Claude will tell you. I went on record six months ago. Bernie Sanders will be the nominee. I'm sticking to. I'm sticking to it. What do you think? I I, I, I part company with you there because I and I may be uh, uh, revealing myself here as a stick in the mud, a sentimentalist, and, and somebody who just really, in the president's phrase, has lost his fastball. If I ever had one, but. I think the Democratic Party, you know, the party of Roosevelt and Truman and JFK and LBJ and so on, that that they are going to reach for for a candidate that isn't going to completely humiliate and embarrass them, and 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 I, I think they're going. It's going to be a contest between a real boom for Bloomberg on, on Super Tuesday and the old guard locking arms to put in Klobuchar in her. New unsuspected role as Walter Mondale and Hubert Humphrey in drag. <laughs> just to serve the, the, the old Minnesota Democrat Farmer Labor Party, God, yeah. which, which, which is no barrel of laughs. It's unexciting, yeah. but it's respectable and yeah. unfrightening. Yeah. And 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 the, and they will the, all, the, all the energy that's left in that drained out husk of a party will be mustered to keep Bloomberg out from just you know muscling aside the party elders and establishment who you know who rigged it for, uh, you know, basically rigged it for uh, Obama against Hillary and then half rigged it for Hillary against Sanders, that this time they'll, they'll, they'll try and stonewall Bloomberg and bring in Klobuchar because the top four candidates are simply not presentable. They're, they go beyond McGovern. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is, uh, here I have to agree with Peggy Noonan, he's a raving Menshevik in the attic. The man cannot speak without waving his arms around and shouting. Yeah, Marxist know. nonsense. I know. Elizabeth Warren is, is a fake native person who wants to spend $52 trillion on compulsory health care. Yeah. And uh, Buttigieg is just a imposter. He's a charlatan. He has absolutely no qualifications at all. And, and he's glib. That's it. He's fluent, but nothing else. And and, uh, and, and poor old Joe Biden is out here. You know, I mean, okay. they can't put up that guy. I mean, he's a, he's. A, he's he doesn't have it. Right, he couldn't just, last five we, minutes in a serious debate with Trump. All right, we disagree, but you didn't disappoint. I was when you said, "Well, I, you know, I don't know, and I don't want to be, you know, blah blah blah." But I, I was so worried you were going to say Biden, but you didn't. You made it much more interesting I, by saying, I, "I can't see them sticking with Biden." I, I, I think the the instinct to pull back and get someone who isn't completely off the wall is real, and 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 it's a good thing. I mean, look, in the end, Bill, you need both parties to govern and both 
parties come to bat sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. you don't want either party getting into the hands of completely incompetent or 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 uh, you know unfeasible people. And and uh, so I, I think you will. That, that's why Bloomberg's running now. It's typical of him. I mean, again, I I, I know him fairly well, and and, and you, you you must you respect his career. Well. I, I do, and I, I like him. I've, I've, I've always gone on well with him, and, and you have to admire his career. But uh, but uh, his ego is not any smaller than the incumbent president's, you know. And and uh, and and he doesn't have the ability to connect with the public that this president has. And he, but for him to come in and say, "I'm joining this race because I don't think any of these candidates is up to it," doesn't strike me as a brilliant campaigning tactic. But at least he deserves full marks for telling the truth. Well, he had a good line on himself years ago. He said, why would I run a little, a short Jewish guy from New York, you know, Boston, you know, it's not going to sell around the country. And he's, he's right. I, I remember what Bob Dole said to me once standing on the street. He said, Hey, as long as we get this guy Schumer representing their side, we're going to win, you know? So, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's a big country. It doesn't just go from, I, I, yeah, it doesn't just it just go from the East River to the Hudson River. That's right. Here's one good one for you. When I was at Harvard, I had a friend and a roommate who uh, was in Cambridge all his life, except for two weeks a year, he would take a vacation for a change of pace and fly all the way across the country to spend two weeks in Berkeley. See, because he, yeah. he he wanted to get away, right? <laughs> There you, there, there you go. He'd stop almost anywhere in between except the University of Chicago. He would have got a change of pace. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, all right, my, my, my Sanders argument is um, very loyal supporters. Very loyal supporters. That I agree. Uh, he will have delegates from every state. He can at least lock up the convention. And they are not going down easy because they think they were, it was stolen from them last time. They're probably right. Uh, and um, and I, I think the pure stuff, the pure Kool-Aid, has got an appeal that the diluted stuff doesn't have. Klobuchar juice. No, I, I, look, I respect the argument. And you, I so want it to happen. You know? <laughs> well, no, that I understand. Already. No, that I do understand. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I remember Mr. Nixon told me once and described to me what happened when he and his wife watched George McGovern's acceptance speech. He came on at 3 a.m. in the East, you know, he was in Miami, That's but right. the Nixons were in California, so it was only midnight, and they watched it. And, and they, they sat there, he said, in silence, and then he said, I, I turned to Mrs. Nixon, as he called her, uh, and said, you know, we, we, we spent our lives fighting uh, the legacy of Roosevelt and Truman and Adlai Stevenson and Jack Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson and Hubert Humphrey. How did such a great party get into the into the hands of such a bunch of, and, and I, it was crude words, so I'll, I'll clean it up a bit and say jerks, but it was actually crude in that. And, and um, they just couldn't believe it. And, and I, I, if, if they actually delivered that nomination to, to this raving, upper septuagenarian, arm-waving Marxist, uh, they are. They. I don't. I guess they'd take the District of Columbia, but I'm not sure they'd take anything else in the country. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. All right. Listen, we need to conclude. It's been too long. Thank you so much, Conrad. And no, the uh, pleasure is mine, Bill. I always love talking with you. 
We, it was a, it's great, just just great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Keep them coming. Keep your columns coming. We 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 put them all up on the website, by the way. So you get, you get a few more. Reviews. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much, Bill. Well, come, you know, we all do what we can anyway. Come to Washington. I'll take you to Cafe Milano. You know, after they tried to assassinate someone at the Cafe Milano, you couldn't get a reservation there for three weeks. <laughs> that's, that's a, I, look, do you realize that someone like? Um, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg would say that proves the downfall of America is imminent unless you elect me. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Well, it was, was yeah. the, the German artist who someone said your work is horrible. He said, yes, but at least I'm a contemporary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could only respond with Mark Twain's description of Wagner's music. It's not as bad as it sounds. That's it. All right. Oh, God, always better. Always better. Always an improvement. Thanks, Conrad. Claude, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. Like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. And the next time or the next time you hear from me, I will have a new knee. Right. That's happening soon. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 